Uh, let us read now verses 1 through 11. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry. And I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold the Lord God is, comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. We give thanks for it. Well, does God exist? And if he does, is he hiding from us? Is he angry with us? Has he finally had enough of us? And has he rejected us? And did he ever really exist in the first place? Now these are thoughts we might have as we look around us and see the immoral state of our world and the declining state of the church and the people like uh, those of us in the PCA and other conservative denominations who identify with traditional Christianity are losing. In fact, we would have to admit that we have already lost the so-called culture wars. It is tempting to be completely demoralized at what we see in the news and all around us in our culture. And those who would think that Christianity is antiquated, outdated, pointless exercise seem to be justified in their thinking. Now this way of thinking can not only affect the church as a whole, but it can affect us as individuals as well. It can be very personal. Sometimes when things are not going well for us, we wonder, has God abandoned me? Is my faith in vain? Wouldn't it be just easier to swim along with the tide of the culture rather than against it? And these thoughts may grieve us at times. And maybe you're grieving over these matters even today. Well, Isaiah was writing to a group of people who would have certainly been experiencing many of these thoughts that I've been describing to you. More than a century before it happens, actually, Isaiah uh, writes to the exiles from Judah and Jerusalem 
who would be conquered by the Babylonians. They were uh, driven out of their homeland. Driven out of Jerusalem where God's temple was located. Now we need to understand the importance of the temple to the people living in Jerusalem and the surrounding area at that time. The temple was where God dwelt in the Old Testament. When the temple was built and dedicated by Solomon, uh, God's glory, His Shekinah glory, filled the temple. It became His dwelling. We read about it in 1 Kings chapter 8. They, the priests brought in the Ark of the Covenant, kind of the last piece to put the temple together. And when the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Then Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would dwell in thick darkness. I have indeed built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. Now think about that for a moment. I mean, suppose, uh, suppose we think of our church as the temple and, and we could, uh, outside looking in, see that, that God moved in one day. And, you know, His glory fills this building. And that would make us feel pretty good about being First Presbyterian Church. And the people in Jerusalem and, and around in Judea, in Judah, uh, they felt that way about the temple. But they began to use it uh, as a, a sense that they were better than everyone else or that they were invincible because they had God's house that God dwelt in their land, God dwelt in the building that they had made, and how could anything happen to us if, if our God is here? He's not going to let anything happen to his house, his dwelling. Surely not. Jeremiah warned them about their wrong thinking. He says in Jeremiah 7, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place, meaning Jerusalem. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal and go after other gods that you have not known and then come and stand before me in this house which is called by my name and say, we are delivered only to go on doing all these abominations? Has this house which is called by my name become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. So they were not living in reference to God at all. They were doing whatever but they felt secure because they had the temple of the Lord. We've got the temple of the Lord, and it's our protection, kind of like a, a rabbit's foot. And then Jeremiah goes on to tell them, or God through Jeremiah tells them what happened to Shiloh. Shiloh was where the tabernacle uh, was uh, set up in the time of uh, Joshua after they con began the conquest of the promised land, and it remained in Shiloh throughout the reign of Saul and, 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 and even further on in until uh, the, t the temple was built. Well, God ended up abandoning that place. And so Jeremiah is warning them about this attitude. Well, 
ultimately, these people saw the unthinkable, what in their minds was the unthinkable. The temple destroyed by the Babylonians, this place where God dwelt, wiped out, and themselves dispersed over the Babylonian empire, run out of their very own country. Now, if anyone had reason to think that God was angry with them and had abandoned them, it was these people to whom Isaiah writes. In Isaiah, you know, the first 39 chapters were written for the earlier period, the time when all of this was going on. Actually, before, uh, before Israel fell, the northern kingdom fell. That's where Isaiah ministered for a long time. And he uh, warns them over and over again that judgment is coming and that they needed to turn back to the Lord. But after 39 chapters of judgment, God through Isaiah comes to the people in exile with these words. See, the, from 40 on to the end of the book, the message is for a, a later audience, one that hasn't even been born yet, but one that will be in exile. They will experience uh, the wrath of the Babylonians, the destruction of the temple. And Isaiah's got a message from God for them 150 years later or so. And he says these words, comfort, comfort my people. These people who, who thought God had abandoned them, who, who, uh, who had allowed them to be uh, overtaken by the Babylonians and sent into exile, God comes to them with this wonderful message of comfort, consolation, tenderly speaking to these people who certainly would have thought that God was not on their side and that God was against them rather than for them. Well, we can feel the same way. Sometimes we can feel like God is against us rather than for us. We can become demoralized with our faith and our Christianity because we, we feel like we're on the losing side all the time especially as we see what's going on around us. Or maybe it's more personal than that. Maybe your own personal life is not going as planned or as hoped. And you think, where is God in all of this? Well, God's got a wonderful message for the demoralized Christian today. He's, he's even got a good message for those who are skeptics, who would say, why do you people believe this at all? Why would you even uh, waste time believing in this God? It's so unpopular. Nobody's believing this anymore. It's outdated. You need to pay attention, if you're in that position, to what God has promised to do for his people here in Isaiah 40. What does God say to demoralized and grieving people? Well, there are three statements here that he wants delivered to his people Three things he wants you to believe and remember. We, we looked at verses 1 and 2 last week. And we were reminded uh, that of what God is going to do or what God has done, the comfort that they received is that, that their warfare has ended. You know, the, the enmity that existed between them and God has, has, been, has, has come to an end. That their iniquities have been pardoned and the punishment for that pardon has been, has been dealt out. It's all over. But now he's going to tell you in these three voices crying exactly how that's going to be delivered. And the short answer is God himself is going to come and deliver this comfort in person. First of all, the first thing that we need to 
believe and remember is that the glory of the Lord will be revealed. The glory of the Lord will be revealed. We see this in verses 3 through 5. God tells a voice to cry this out. Look, prepare the way of the Lord. You know, knock down the, the, the mountains in the way. Uh, build a highway. Make it straight and flat. Fill the valleys in. Prepare the way of the Lord. Remove every obstacle so that he can come on in. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. Isaiah's message is that God himself is going to appear on the scene in all his glories. Look, humans do not have the capacity to end their warfare with God, their enmity with God. They do not have the ability to secure pardon for their iniquities. And nor do they have the ability to pay double for all their sins. Only God does that. So God himself is coming. He has come in the form of Christ to do that very thing. He himself came and gave us peace with God, pardon for sin, and he paid completely for our sins on the cross. John put it this way about the coming of, of God's glory. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John the Baptist prepared the way for this coming of the Lord, as we mentioned a moment ago. He was the fulfillment of that uh, prophecy in Isaiah. It tells us in Matthew 3 that he fulfilled Isaiah 40. He was preparing the way of the Lord out in the wilderness. And he told the people, here's how you prepare for the coming of the Lord. Remove every obstacle that would prevent you from receiving him. In other words, repent, turn from sin, put away sin, you know, put on holiness so that you can be ready for the Lord. Now, the good thing is that Christ came and he secured holiness for us. He washes and cleanses us. We don't do it ourselves. But to turn to him, repent, turn away from sin and turn to him, that is what we are called to do. Now Christ is coming again. Yes, he came the first time, but he's coming again. And so we can read Isaiah 40 for our own day and know that he is going to once again show up in person and his glory is going to be even greater. It's going to be seen even more in an even more amazing fashion. When Christ came, his glory was veiled a little bit, and you would see flashes of it. When he would walk on the water, when he would heal a blind man, when he would raise someone from the dead or cast out a demon. And then there's that wonderful episode where they come, you know, a whole uh, band of Roman soldiers, hardened Roman soldiers, hundreds of them, come to arrest him in the garden. And Jesus turns to them and says, Who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he. And John tells us that all of them fell backwards when he said that. You see all these soldiers, big soldiers with arm to the teeth, falling down when he says, I am. It's a, a little glimpse of his power and a reminder that they didn't take his life from them. 
He laid it down because he has authority to lay it down. He's the one with the power in this position. But when he comes again, he will come in all of his glory, and we will see it. Matthew 16, the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Now we may think God has abandoned us, forgotten us, or that he's not returning, and this is all in vain, these things that we believe. But Isaiah's message from God to us is that he will return and his glory will be revealed and all flesh will see it. Our faith will be vindicated one day. Everybody will say, yes, we should have had our faith in him. The word glory means weight, uh, importance. That's where the word comes from. It means gravitas, honor, splendor. All flesh, even those who doubt him and those who demean and dishonor him and reject him, will see him, and then they will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this one is more important than all the silly things this world promotes ahead of him. All we thought was important will fade away, and then every person will be compelled to bow the knee and confess that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. We need to remember that. That's what we believe. And be prepared. Turn from sin and turn to him with expectation. The second thing we must remember is not only that the Lord will come and his glory will be revealed, but that the word of the Lord will stand forever. Now you notice the last thing he said in verse 5 was, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The second section, verses 6 through 8, reinforce that. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. All flesh is grass. All its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers. The flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers. The flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. If he said it, it's true because it's the word of God. How do we know what God promised will come about? How can we be sure that he has not abandoned us? How can we be sure that our faith is not in vain? Now, God's word is under attack today. And we would, uh, we would see around us a lot of people arguing uh, that you people need to not believe everything that God's word says. Um, the attacks are against the authority of God's Word, uh, the inerrancy of God's Word, and the relevance of Scripture to today. You hear things like, you know, God, the Bible is just written by men. It's not the Word of God. Or you, you hear that the Bible is full of errors and, it, and it's not trustworthy. Or that it's not relevant. You know, we don't believe those things anymore. Times have changed. The culture has moved on. And these things no longer matter. But that's exactly the opposite of the message that Isaiah brings to us. When you capitulate to that attitude, then the culture becomes the highest authority, right? Who gets to decide what's true and what's not? Whoever. If we do not have an authority, what we think and feel becomes the rule. Life then becomes just like we have it today like it was in the period of the judges. The, you know what the refrain was in judges? 
There was no king. There was no authority in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's repeated over and over in Judges. That's one of the points of Judges. When you abandon God's word as your highest authority, then it becomes everybody does what's right in his own eyes. And surely we see that being played out in our culture here today. When you throw off biblical authority, everyone does what they think is right. The word of God, this is a great statement. I'm stealing it from Tim Keller. Uh, the Word of God, and actually he says this about Christianity, which is also true, but the Word of God is not true because it is relevant. It is relevant because it is true. Repeat that. The Word of God is not true because it is relevant. Or, to put it another way, we can't decide if the Bible is true just because of the relevance it has today. Does it say what we want it to say? Then it must be true. We, that's, that's the attitude a lot of people have today. That's the wrong attitude. The Bible is, is relevant because it is truth. It is truth. And that makes it always relevant. It is the authority, therefore it's always apropos and always speaks to the situation. If God says that he is returning in his glory one day, then you can bank on it because his word is firm. Mankind, with all of his opinions about things, and that's what we're getting a lot of today, here's what I think, here's what I think you should believe about the Bible, Here, here's, uh, here's what I think you should, uh, how you should act and behave and what you should allow or not. These are just man's opinion, and what does Isaiah say? Man's just a little bit above the, the flowers and the grass. His life will disappear. His opinions will go with him, but the word of God will stand forever. So remember that. Cling to God's word. Believe God's word. Because it stands forever. When we face with this uh, 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 attitude or, or this grief about the way things are and wondering and, and losing faith and becoming demoralized, we need to return to God's word and his promises and keep returning it because it's his word. He's promised, and he's God, and he can deliver. And then thirdly and finally, the justice of the Lord will come. We see that in these verses 9 through 11. We have here some words of comfort, but we also have a job to do. Wonderful words of comfort, that the Lord is, come, is going to come in his glory, like he said in the first point, but what's, his, what's it going to be like when he comes? And it's beautiful. His reward is with him and his recompense before him. Now, we, you can take that two different ways. He's either going to give every man according to his deeds, which is certainly true. He's got a reward with him. But when you look at the, the words behind that, uh, it's probably referring to his people. His people are his reward, his recompense. He has paid the price them. He has died on the cross to secure them for himself. The Bible tells us that we're bought with a price. When the Moravians would go on ships and they would go out to, uh, to, to, to do missionary work all over the world, they would stand on the deck and cry out, may the lamb who was slain receive the reward for his suffering. And what they meant was, may Christ receive his people. As we go out and proclaim the gospel of Christ, may the Lord 
may, may he receive people, the reward for his suffering. For those for whom he suffered, may they become his. And may he use us to do so. That's what they meant. So he's coming, and he's going to come with his people, and how is he going to treat them? These people that were, in the first instance, thrown out of their homeland, their temple was destroyed, he's going to tend his flock like a shepherd, gather the lambs in his arms, carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those that are with young. And of course, Christ came the first time, and we see him as a gentle Savior, the good shepherd, as it talks about in John chapter 10, and other places as well. He is the good shepherd, and he is tender. A bruised reed he will not break. Smoking flax he will not snuff out. So there's great comfort there. When he returns, we don't have anything to fear because he's our God and we are his people. And he has paid for iniquity. He's paid the penalty for sin. And our enmity with God is over with so he can gather us up in his arms and shepherd us tenderly in his bosom. But this really speaks of a job we have to do. Because he says, go up, on a, go up on a high mountain, O Zion. These are the people of God, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. And say, behold your God. He's telling the people of God to go and proclaim it everywhere. Go tell them that, tell the world, now that we get to the New Testament, tell the world that God is coming in all of his glory. He's going to come with his might and his arm will rule for him and his reward is with him and his recompense before him. So our little job to do is to share this message, to remind people that, yes, you think he's not returning, but he is. He's going to come back and we need to be ready for that day. Romans tells us, Romans 1 tells us that everyone has a knowledge of God. Every human being uh, has a knowledge of God. They may suppress that truth in unrighteousness. They may push away the knowledge of God. But there's an innate knowledge of God. And people know these things are true. They push it away. And we can go confidently with this news that, yes, you do know that there's a God, and one day we'll have to answer to him. And there, you know, the answer that you have is not a good one. The answer he provided is the only secure one the only one that will allow you to be shepherded by the good shepherd. So I want to encourage you today, if you're demoralized, remember that. He's not against you. He's for you. And he wants to gather you up. And he will gather you up with all of his people one day. And we need to share that good news with other people. It's for them as well. And as we go through the, the trials, I'll leave you with uh, 1 Peter 4. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. We want to be glad when his glory is revealed. Will you be glad when his glory is revealed? Uh, are you prepared for that day? Are you demoralized today? Well, turn to the Lord, trust Him, trust His Word, be uh, mindful that He is going to return in His glory, and in the meantime, prepare the way. Keep turning to Him and turning from sin. Let's pray together.